20, if you would make your way to the book of Acts, chapter 20, as with last Sunday, I'm going to bring a two-part message this morning and this evening from Acts, chapter 20. Last week, you'll remember that we considered being the watchman on the wall. Today, these two messages deal with the responsibility and the roles in the pastor-people relationship. That is, uh, how in the local church, the pastor and the con- congregation relate to one another, their, their roles, their responsibilities. I'll let you know on the front end, this text is very pastor-heavy. Uh, it uh, really deals with that a lot because if you'll remember um, from previous weeks, we're, uh, we've been studying Paul's third missionary journey, how he left Antioch um, years earlier and has made all of this. He's traversed uh, really almost all of the known world. He's headed back ultimately uh, to Jerusalem because he's not going to be able to make the Passover, but he's going to try to make Pentecost 50 days after the Passover. But right now in Acts chapter 20, he is at Miletus, the the seaport of Miletus. He's on a a cargo ship. He doesn't know how long they're going to be there. He's not the captain. They might be there a day, a week, a month. He's not sure. So he can't possibly run the risk of uh, running around uh, teaching and instructing people. Instead, what he does is in a previous couple of trips, he um, wanted to meet with the leaders from Ephesus. So he called the pastors. Uh, he, uh, he sent them a note and said, you pastors from the church at Ephesus, you come down and meet with me. I can't leave Miletus, but I want to be able to uh, instruct you. And so they had, a, uh, they had a staff meeting and it really was a farewell um, message, a farewell meeting that uh, Paul had uh, with these leaders. Uh, I preached this passage this morning and this evening, not because I'm leaving and not because I particularly want to uh, preach about being a pastor, but because we come to it next in our text. And by the way, verse by verse exposition is a very good uh, technique, if you will, or a very good uh, plan for a pastor to have because it keeps me off of soapboxes that I might naturally tend to want to go to. And it does, in fact, what Paul said, it gives you the whole or the full counsel of God. And so going verse by verse through a Bible book, is always a wise thing to do. So this text is very pastor heavy. I don't want to be self-serving, but the text is before us. And so we deal with it. This morning's message is uh, titled following the leaders, following the leaders from Acts chapter 20, verses 27 through 31. And then this evening, the rest of the chapter leading the followers, just flipping the title around. Paul wasn't being arrogant or self-serving when he told others to emulate his walk. As a matter of fact, this text uh, seems to intimate that very thing. Look at verse 27, Acts 20, verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, and remember that for the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul had said, 
he didn't fail to declare the whole counsel of God. He had said he's free from the blood of all men. He said here in verse 31 that I cease not to warn you. He is not boasting. He is not tooting his own horn. He is saying I have uh, to the greatest degree fulfilled my responsibility in presenting the word of God to you. Now follow my example. And we see that in other places in uh, Pauline writing. In 1 Corinthians 4 verses 15 and 16, it says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Paul said, there's all kinds of pastors out there. There's all kinds of radio preachers and publishing houses and TV evangelists. But you really only have one shepherd. You only have one who has cared for your soul. And so follow that one, the Apostle Paul was telling these pastors so that they would then communicate that to their people. Paul said in Philippians 3:17, "Brethren, be followers together of me." That is all of you follow the example. Uh, speaking to the laity about um, church leadership, Hebrews 13:7 says regarding the pastor, "Whose faith follow." And 2 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks a lot about that. We'll be getting into that tonight. And so the title today Following the leaders is very clearly taught in Scripture, and we come to that subject in this text. The first thing I want us to consider is found in verses 27, the first part of verse 28, and then the last three verses. The pastor is to use the Word of God for spiritual protection. It's not what I say. It's not what I know. Uh, I I am not any further down the road than uh, any of you or or, or many of you uh, spiritually or experientially or theologically. It's not what I say or what I think that matters. It's what the word of God says. And a pastor is called to lift high the word of God. Um, No mere mortal has inherent power to change a life, even his own life. We are weak. We fail. We get hurt. We cry and run home as it were. We don't have inherent strength, but we do have power for real victory. And that is in following the word of God, in submitting, in yielding to God and saying, Lord, I'm going to learn your word and I'm going to take it into my life and I'm going to live it out through uh, my life and express it in fulfilling your will. You remember that the angel told the prophet Zechariah that the ability to do anything for God The ability to serve him in any way, that ability or that enabling comes from God. You remember Zechariah 4, 6, it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. In Philippians 4, 13, Paul alluded that very same thing. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so the pastor, his calling is to protect uh, the, the, the people of God, but he is to do it through the word of God. Now, a couple of thoughts here about protecting um, God's people. The first thing is, it's found at the very beginning of this, the pastor first has to protect himself. The pastor first has to take heed. He has to be warned. He has to be very alert. He has to be very aware in his own heart with where he is because of what value am I going to be to you uh, if I am spiritually anemic, if I'm weighted down, if I've gone into sin, if I've been consumed with bitterness, if I'm filled with unbelief, how am I going to help you? And so that's why it says the text very clearly with Paul beginning to address the leaders, uh, he says to them in verse 28, 
Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Pay attention to your own lives, leaders. Don't try to think that you can export something if it's not first in your own warehouse. Amen? Uh, that, that applies to Awana leaders and uh, Sunday school teachers or committee members or anyone who has a role in serving the Lord in and through his church. You're not going to be able to deliver the goods if you don't have the goods in your own life. So take heed unto your own selves first before anything else. Paul gave insight into what it means to be a fruitful and a faithful pastor by warning them to watch out for themselves. As a leader goes, so goes that organization to the greatest degree anyway. A local church pastor has a huge responsibility for the overall spiritual climate of the church. And I've, I've pastored, I've shepherded now for, well, God called me to preach um, 22 years ago, and, uh, and I've been in full-time pastorate over two decades. Um, I've been a, sol- a solo pastor with no other uh, employees before. I've, uh, I've been an associate with a full staff. I've been a senior pastor. Uh, I've been in glorious times and in grievous times. I've been um, in uh, pastoring when the blessings were splashing down or the burdens were stacking up. I've been in both, the, both ends of that. And I never cease to be mindful of how weak I am in myself and how much I need the Lord at present in my life. I mean, I am more convinced of that now than I've ever been convinced of that. You know how sometimes when you're in your 20s, especially as a man, not, not dissing or disrespecting any of you men who are in your 20s, but um, when you're 50 or, or pushing that, you'll look back and you'll say, wow, I was not as strong back then as I thought I was at that time and how much more you, you are aware of how frail and how feeble you can be the longer uh, you live and the, and the closer and the more you, you know uh, God, the more you know that you need him. I need God's comfort during times of stress. I need God's conviction during times of sin because I will fail without him. But in him, I can do all things and you can too. As a leader, so a pastor, a church leader must take heed. That's what the text says for his own self. That's why scripture says regarding the huge responsibility that a pastor bears. James 3, 1 admonishes all men to be very careful before jumping into the pastorate. Do not just jump into the pastorate uh, just on a whim or just because you think that maybe God would have this for you. Why is that? Because greater responsibility means greater accountability. If you have increased responsibility, by definition, you have increased accountability. Don't preach, as Max Morris told me, unless you have to. Don't preach. When I was struggling with this in the early 80s and I came to him as the pastor of this church and I was a layman. I was heading toward a degree trying to get into medical school and God started stirring in my heart. And um, I'm thinking, I don't know about this. And, and, and for many months, I wasn't resisting it. I wasn't fighting it. I just didn't know for sure. I said, how can I know? He says, if you can be content doing anything else in life, then you are not called to preach. Because 1 Timothy 3, 1 says that man who desires, who longs for, who, um, who uh, 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 just strives after the office of bishop does so, uh, has a, a good thing in his heart. And so there must be that burning desire that I must serve the Lord on a full, in a full-time way. I must lift high his word or God is not calling. I'm convinced of that. That's why I tell couples who uh, come to me um, for premarital counseling, I say, don't get married unless you have to. And that's not a statement about if she is great with child. 
What I'm saying is don't get married if you can live comfortably unmarried. And it's the same kind of principle with the pastorate. The pastor must take heed for his own person. A couple of ways that that uh, plays out. First of all, the pastor is prone to be seduced by pride. He just is. That's the bottom line. First Peter 3, 6. Uh, I'm sorry. First Timothy 3, 6 says that a new or an inexperienced man cannot, must not be a pastor. It says not a novice. Why? Why not a novice? Why not, why not a new and inexperienced, energetic believer? Why not a, a young man who just got saved and he's full of, of the presence of God and he's witnessing and he's, he's serving? God? Why shouldn't we make that guy a pastor? First Timothy 3, 6 says, don't do that because he'll be lifted up with pride and he'll fall into the condemnation of the devil. Succumbing to pride is a backdoor attack. And true men of God, that is those who genuinely have God in their lives, they don't usually think, well, I'm doing um, God a big favor. God, you're sure uh, fortunate to have me uh, on your team. Now, Satan is much more subtle than that, much more deceptive than that. Pride seduces. It sneaks up on us like a big cat in the African jungle. Don't you love those those TV shows with these big cats creeping up in the African jungle? And they're 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 seducing the prey. That's what pride does for us. Why is that? Well, God designed us to be relational and the church is a relational um, organism. I mean, we are filled with relationships and we all need and we all appreciate encouragement and pastors receive a lot of credit, a lot of things for their, the way they minister and they receive even more than what they deserve. I know that. I know I get credit for stuff that I didn't have anything to do. And we are known uh, around here, around Redbridge for uh, our Awana ministry and, and, and our varsity, our, our 24-7 club and how almost there are hardly any churches that have that and not to the degree that we do. As small a church as we are, as established as we are, it really is an amazing thing. We were talked about uh, in in Christian circles last year because of Judgment House. We are known, we've always been known for our music and, uh, and the quality and the excellence with which we want to do ministry and missions and having an orphanage and lots of things get thrown at me in a positive way that I know I hardly did anything. I, I just kind of say, oh yeah, okay, that's fine, let's do that. You know, and that's about all, that's the extent of my involvement in that particular item. Yet, praise or recognition comes my way. And so it's a very delicate balance for the congregation to offer encouragement to the pastor and at the same time, it not be a temptation for pride. How can this be avoided? Let me give you a golden key. Be sure to offer encouragement, but make sure it is genuine and not just flattery. How can you know that? By it being specific, not just saying, oh, pastor, you're, you're the most wonderful. Uh, you, those sermons are just glorious. And, you know, just talking in generalities and, and it being bigger than life and it not being genuine spiritual encouragement. But if it's very specific and it brings glory to God, then you can be somewhat safe in knowing that that is not something that he is going to chew on and, uh, and make, it, uh, make himself uh, look large in his own eyes. For instance, you might say, Pastor, I want you to know that God used your message in my life to show me the error of my way. I've, I've repented. I'm now following the Lord in a new way. Thank you for being faithful to the word. That was specific 
It brought glory to God and it did. It said something about what the word of God did in your life. There is room for encouraging one another. Scripture is very clear on teaching that. But we must be very careful that we do not cause one another, feed one another in the area of pride. So pastor is prone to that. Secondly, the pastor is prone to be crushed by discouragement. And it can happen almost simultaneously. It can almost happen even in this service. I'll just let you know, even in this service already, I've, uh, I've, been, I've been tempted, I've been prone to, to want to glory in something else, something that was going on, and simultaneously had to ward off a bit of discouragement. Even in this service, uh, that sort of thing happens. If it's true that leadership gets much more credit than they deserve, tempting them to be filled with pride, it's also true that leaders take more heat than they deserve. Uh, think about uh, some of the uh, um, significant accomplishments uh, with under the, uh, the, the ministry, if you will, the stewardship of President Bush. Um, how that uh, in, uh, in almost in a moment, we were able to uh, march right into Baghdad and, uh, and o- overthrow a tyrant and, and start uh, snuffing out uh, Al-Qaeda all over uh, the world. And, and, some, and, uh, and now uh, um, Gaddafi in Libya has, has basically said, oh, oh, let us give you our ma- weapons of mass destruction. We want to play too. We want to play on your side. I mean, good things have happened. And yet, what did he do? He just kind of put things in motion. But that machinery had been in place for a long time and had been building up for 200 years, that mechanism. But yet he received lots and lots of credit for it. Conversely, the greatest hurricane that's ever hit our shores wipes out some major cities and he is being blasted by the opportunists as if he could do something about it in a federal level the local and state authorities had not yet dealt with it. Yet they would, there would be those who would try to crush him for poor leadership. Now, things here, it's easy to preach this message right now because things are going well. By and large, folks are, are generally happy uh, and, and content and are getting along. I really believe, I understand that things are going well not because of me and not because of you, not in spite of me, not in spite of you, but God is using us. And so we're the conduit through which he is pouring out blessing in any number of ways. I want you to recognize that when things are difficult in a church, any church here or somewhere else, if you're elsewhere, the pastor is sometimes the fall guy being crushed by the weight of the problem. That's why, and, and God knew that, and God knew that there would be the temptation. It, it's, it, there, we have the tendency to want to blame someone. Someone has to be responsible for this mess, this chaos. Someone has to be responsible for Hurricane Katrina. We can't blame God. That's not really politically correct, I guess. So let's blame President Bush. It's just part of the nature of things, and, and God recognized that, of course. That's why 1 Timothy 5.19 instructs the church against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. If you plan to confront a pastor who is in unrepentant sin, make sure that there are others present so every word can be verified and so that everything is above board. He's prone to walk in pride 
He's prone to be discouraged. Scripture addresses both of those. Therefore, you Ephesian elders, take heed unto your own selves. How is it going with you spiritually as a leader? An important part. If he's prone to discouragement, let me give you a golden key. When you relate to him, think theologically, not emotionally. Um, We are a relational organism as a church, but when it comes to um, someone having to direct to, and steer the ship and you might feel like, well, the winds are better if we go this way and, and it's, it, it'd be more comfortable if we were uh, sailing off in that direction or whatever. Deal with it and address it theologically, not emotionally with how it actually mean, what it actually means to you. With God as my witness, I don't know that I operate in such a way as what makes me comfortable? How would I um, like best like to do things? I really, really do want to uh, ha- do it from the health of the church. That's why I don't have a pet ministry. I mean, the, I love the orchestra. They're not my favorite. I love Awana. They're not my favorite. I love uh, Haiti Home of Hope. It's not my favorite. Everything is my favorite. I love all of the ministry that God has entrusted to us. And so think theologically, not emotionally, when there is an issue that has to be addressed and it might be an uncomfortable issue. Y'all with me? Amen. Then we don't discourage one another. Then we don't crush one another, but we work through to a positive, healthy resolution. Okay. And do that with my family, by the way. I love this. I just had to tickle your funny bone on this. I'm not hearing anything. You must not get it. Uh, The two fish are saying, I feel like we live in a pastor's home. You get it? Never mind. Okay, we'll move on. <clears throat> I laughed and laughed when I saw that. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm the only one who can relate to that. Maybe y'all can't relate to that. Any of y'all preacher's kids out there? Did you laugh? <laughs> Where's Pam Caldwell? <laughs> Where's Pam when I need her? Uh, okay. Oh, well. Second thing. The pastor is to use the word of God for spiritual protection in that he's to take heed for his own people. Notice there in that text, in verse 28, it says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you an overseer, a shepherd, a bishop. And so it's not only watching out for the pride, for the discouragement in his own life, it's also watching for the health of, uh, of everyone. That's why Hebrews 13 says that he watches for your souls as he must give an account. Wow, that is a weighty responsibility. And Paul wanted these Ephesian uh, pastors to know you have a weighty responsibility and that is the care of the flock. <clears throat> He's to watch the people of God. He's to lay down his life for the sheep. That's why when the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus, that's what he did for his sheep. And local church pastors are called to pour out their lives to protect God's people from scriptural heresy, from spiritual harassment, from the enemy. But it's going to come. The temptation is going to be there. The attacks are going to be there. Verses 29 through 31 talk about that. The first thing that it says is that there is going to be an attack 
from outside. Heresy from outside is going to try to make its way in. Verse 29, for I know this, Paul is saying, as the apostle, as the church planter, he's telling these pastors, these, these men who have not been saved all that long, but they are committed and they're, they're, they're in their staff meeting. He's saying, guys, listen up. When I leave, grievous wolves are going to enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to seek to destroy. They're going to come in from outside. Um, they say, uh, the cat's away. Now the mice can play and we're going to wreak havoc in the church. The pastor must be very much uh, aware of that. And we know, we know it's speaking of doctrinal anomalies because in look in verse 30, it says also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. And so uh, because it's saying also, that means in verse 29, it's speaking of doctrinal uh, heresy as well. So uh, there is heresy that's coming from without and folks, if it was true in the early church with legalism and Gnosticism as the primary heresies, it must be even more widespread in our day. It's as if theological illiteracy and theological illegitimacy is at an all time high. I mean, there's every kind of of doctrine and, uh, and nuance and, and interpretation that you could imagine. If you ask 100 people on the street uh, on any given point of doctrine, my guess is you'll get dozens of varieties and all be dogmatic about it and yet all say, oh, I, I believe in God. And yet there isn't any consistency. There isn't any standard. It's just all over the place. It's a potpourri of theology out there. And the pastor is called as the one who is trained and more importantly called, who is anointed with God's spirit to lead, to shepherd the flock. And part of that protection is protecting from doctrinal error that wants to come in from the outside. And God knows we have plenty of that. We have more than enough in our area right here um, to try to address and handle a golden key. Give yourself to learning theology. Just like, yes, you are fed when you're little. There is a point where, yeah, mom might be still providing the meal and dad might be paying for the meal and bringing it home and all. But uh, there's a point where you have a part in it as well. And I'm, I'm not I'm not being uh, disrespectful or condescending to you all because I know that's true. This is just a reminder. Keep on with unsco- uh, discovering and uncovering theological truths and plugging them into your lives so that you will be protected in your own life um, against heresy. Secondly, relative to the people, there needs to be protection against ambition from within. See, we're relational. And Jesus said that there would be tares among the wheat and, um, and that there will be problems in the church. It's, it's not possible that offenses will not come. In other words, offenses will come. There will be issues. And a lot of the times it has to do with false teachers speaking perverse things. Look at verse 30. It says they're going to speak perverse things. And this word in the Greek means to twist or to distort. In other words, they'll take some particular orthodox truth and they will twist it in some way, distort it in some way as to completely cause the meaning to be something other than what God intended. And why did they do that? They do it to gain a following according to verse 30. 
It has pride as its root and power as its fruit. Did you hear that? It has pride. Oh, I want to be noticed. I want to. I want others to um, to recognize me as someone really great. It has pride as its root and power. I can control lives. Wow! Look at the following I have. It has power as its fruit. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. In, in especially in the realm of spirituality. Spiritual power is intoxicating. That's why I have said, and with God as my witness, I, I purpose to practice and have as a part of my life. I am, I reject pastoral manipulation. I hate the whole concept of, uh, of, of you marking, uh, checking off your box as if somehow that is spirituality. I don't want it in my life. I don't want it in your life. That's why I've told my children since they were little, And I've said it to you many times before. The issue isn't doing. The issue is being. If I will be the the man of God God wants me to be, the doing is going to play right out. It's going to fall right in place. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and these other things, they're going to fall right into place. Matthew 6, 33. Ambition from within. Spiritual power is intoxicating. You can see that by looking at the masses who blindly follow heretical teachers because people, lost people, even baby Christians tend to be more impressed with personalities than with precepts and principles. It's much easier to be impressed uh, with personalities. I mean, what is it that draws people to Benny Hinn? And I'll just come right out and say the heresy of the signs and wonders. movement. What is it? It's personality. It's the it's the glamour, it's the glitz, it's the, it's the brilliance uh, of the appearance. It's the um, being uh, swallowed up by the sense of power and, uh, and, uh, and uh, presence instead of with the actual theology from the word of God. Golden key. And you mercy showers, you who, who have the gift of mercy, God bless you, but put down this golden key. There are lost people in the church, in the, among the church. I should say, not in the church, because in order to be in the church, baptized in the church, 1 Corinthians 12, you have to be a believer. But there are lost folks among the wheat. And I know that's not fun to, to think, and you don't want that to be, and I don't want it to be either. But the fact of the matter, Jesus said, there would be. And so there will be ambition from within for a following in the church. Paul told the Ephesian leaders. And so protect the church. Good night, I've been having fun. And it's five after 12. I'm done right here. The pastor is to use the word of God for spiritual provision. And that's what's going to be all about tonight. But verse uh, 28b says, feed the church of God. Feed. You are to take heed. You are to feed as you lead. Take heed under what's going on. That's the that's the negative. That's the protection in feed them for the future. That's the provision all the while lead as God's man. Following the leaders, God has established leadership in the church He calls his people to intentionally follow the leaders as they follow Christ. And Paul qualified it that way. It's not blind fellowship. It is qualified fellowship of 
qualified, proven, tested leadership. I'm so thankful that to the greatest degree, that is how we function here to the glory of God, for the health of the body, for the evangelism of the lost, for the lifting up of ministries. Um, It is a, a wonderful thing when a pastor and people are on the same page for the glory of God. Lord, I'm thankful for this.